This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. I published my first book in 2012 titled Everything Voluntary, From Politics to Parenting. This book is an anthology of writings on voluntarist themes covering politics, religion, markets, parenting, and education. You may download the book for free at everythingvoluntary.com or purchase it in paperback at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Hello, welcome to the podcast. It's January 17th. In this episode, I just wanted to look over some things, um, some of the goings-on these days regarding Section 23 from the Communication Decency Act here in the U.S., as well as things like um, the uh, takedown of Parler by Amazon and kind of around there. So let, let's let start because I, before we get into the, the uh, Parler takedown, kind of a, kind of a side topic, I want to look at Section 230 and my goal in looking at it is to is to determine whether or not its creation and existence is uh, is libertarian. Okay, and I'll explain what what that means as as we look at it. So I'm going to pull it up here and just just read it. You know what it talks about, what it what it protects, what it does, sort of specifically what it says, as well as my sort of cultural understanding of it. So let me let me find it here real quick. Okay, so I'm just on, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, Wikipedia page for Section 230, and I'll I'll link to this. And it and it says Section 230 is a piece of internet legislation in the United States passed into law as part of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which is a common name for Title V of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, formally codified as Section 230 of the Communications Act of 1934 at 47 U.S.C. 230. Section 230 generally provides immunity for website publishers from third-party content. At its core, Section 230C1 provides immunity from liability for providers and users of an interactive computer service who publish information by third-party users. Here's here's a quote from the, the section itself. It says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Um, And it says the statute in Section 230C2 further provides good Samaritan protection from civil liability for operators of interactive computer services in the removal of or moderation of third-party material they deem obscene or offensive, even of constitutionally protected speech, as long as it is done in good faith. Okay, there's a lot more here, and it even looks at like... uh, Similar legislation in other countries, the European Union, Australia, and so on and so forth. It also reviews case law and whatnot. But let's just focus on that that bit I read, which is, I'll read it again. 
No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So what I've always understood this to mean is that if I go onto your website and I, you know, you, you allow comments, for example, on your blog posts. And within those comments, I start, um, I don't know, I start planning a crime or that's one example. Or I start, quote, defaming somebody. I start um, talking about somebody and making claims about them that have the effect of defaming them. So in the first instance, I go onto your website, um, you know, and, and it, it could just be like the comment section. It could be within, like, say, reviews on Yelp, Yelp reviews, right? Maybe I'm talking about your business. Or it could be, um, you know, like uploaded content, like with YouTube, Right, I make a video and I upload it to YouTube. And now anybody with the link or you know, or through organic discovery finds the video and it finds me talking about either planning a crime or defaming someone or or doing something else that other people might be concerned about. Section two thirty uh is supposed to protect the platform, either your your blog where the comment section is, your website like Yelp or your platform like YouTube or Facebook or Twitter from being charged as any sort of accomplice or contributor to my crime or my tort. Now, I don't, I don't think that 230 requires, um, so, so it does go on and there's, there's some other, um, there was, there was an amendment, um, in 2018 to 230 by the FOSTA-SESTA, which is the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act that does require that these platforms remove um, anything that, that infringes copyright and any, any material that's illegal on, on a federal level, at least. And there might be state, state-based laws, too, once, once discovered, I would assume. Um, and, and maybe not. Maybe, maybe somebody, you know, if, if something's up there that is, you know, the federal government deems illegal, I don't know if they give a certain amount of time or if it's discovered and, it, and it's discovered that it's been sitting there in full view for some period of time and YouTube never developed algorithms to catch it and it was never reported to moderation, I would think that YouTube would be protected unless it was obviously pointed out and there's evidence it was pointed out and they still allowed it. Then maybe they would lose their protection depending on what it is. Um, and then this bit about copyright infringement. And this is this is really the reason why, why it's so um, – so risky to pretty much put anything on YouTube because YouTube has developed algorithms to recognize uh, things like music tracks and to um, say, you know, there might be some, some copyrighted music here. Plus, any, but any other user can go on and simply declare this video contains my copyrighted uh, quote-unquote property and the channel gets a copyright strike. And then when you try to appeal that, it appeals it appeal. I understand it appeals to the person who put the strike, and then if they say no, it really does have my stuff. You know, then you're SOL. You're out of luck. It's really difficult to get YouTube to review it and to decide that it's not somebody else's copyrighted material. YouTube doesn't want to be in that game of deciding what is and isn't copyright, right? Because here in the U.S., at least, anything you make is automatically copyrighted. You don't have to register it. You don't have to file for it, like with a patent or a trademark. You used to have to. You used to have to do that. You have, used to have to declare, "I'm copywriting this," 
and put the little circle C, but that, that was removed at some point. And now anything you make is just automatically copyright. So YouTube's not going to, you know, YouTube's not going to spend any time figuring out if somebody's fake copyright striking other videos. It happens all the time. And YouTube is going to cover their own ass by just saying, look, I'm sorry this happened, but we're not going to get sued. That's going to end up costing us a lot of money. It's not worth it to us. You're just going to get copyright strike. So this is, this is a real problem on YouTube. And a lot of legitimate creators that are probably just sampling other people's things or covering it or using clips of it, probably mostly in fair use from what I've seen, if you believe in fair use doctrine, which if you're a hardcore copyright person, you probably don't. You know, these, these creators are losing, um, losing their place on YouTube, and it's unfortunate. Okay, so so there's there's some stuff there with with copyright infringement and with you know some uh, federally illegal like if it's brought, I guess if it's brought to their attention and they they don't remove it then maybe they'll be held liable for it. So here's the question: what what is libertarian about this? Like I like I talked about in the last episode, libertarian simply explained is private property from original appropriation and the non-aggression principle. Okay, I think that in a in a totally free libertarian society, there would not be a separation between what today they call crimes and torts. All crimes would be torts, and all torts would be would be prosecuted, if you will, sued over as crimes. So if you're going to sue somebody in court and you're going to say this person has committed an act of aggression against me, has violated my property rights, which is what all acts of aggression are, then what sorts of torts and what sorts of crimes would even qualify? Well, things like murder, rape, robbery, burglary, that stuff would qualify. Would copyright infringement qualify? Personally, I don't think so. My friend Alex does. So that's an academic debate because I don't think that ideas, which are non-scarce, which are infinitely reproducible and simultaneously usable by everybody in the universe, should be subject to a property right scheme that depends on scarcity and rivalrousness. So you're, you're copying and using and implementing an idea that I came up with has zero effect on my own using and implementing that same idea. We can, we can simultaneously use it. We cannot simultaneously use my car or my acre of land. That is necessarily uh, scarce and, and rivalrous. Anyway, so, you know, I don't think copying somebody's idea or doing something like somebody else is doing is actually a crime in a, in a free libertarian society. I don't think that it is. I think that if you're going to sue somebody, it's going to be for an actual real property rights violation. Either you attacked me or you attacked my property. And any libertarian-based judge, you know, worth um, approaching, worth utilizing in that society, I think would see it that way as well. So it, Section 230 is sort of a... a a state-based imposition on this process, right? If if I think that you as a platform have been instrumental in sort of uh, creating some assault on me, right, where, where, where your users have been planning an assault, an actual crime against me, um, and I want to include you in my lawsuit – you know, I, I should be allowed to include anybody. And then it would be up to the judge to say, well, did, did the platform aid in this or not? You know, what was the platform's role? There shouldn't be, there shouldn't, I don't think there should be any blanket uh, liability protection from that sort of thing. 
just because they're a platform. I think the facts matter, and I think the platform should um, should ha- should uh, I should have the opportunity to say yeah, the platform was involved in this way, um, and the platform should should have to defend themselves on that. Right? It shouldn't just be thrown out because of some decree by the state. I should be able to sue anybody for any reason. And then based on the the merits of the case, it's thrown out or not. It shouldn't be thrown out because of some something like this, something like Section 230 that just gives blanket immunity to the plat to, to a platform. Now, that's as far as like, a, you know, people, users of the platform planning a crime, which is really as far as it, it can go in a libertarian world, because I don't think that in a libertarian wor- world, something like defamation, which is just just people speaking, saying things that they want, even if they're unsavory things, is really a crime, right? What property rights are being violated when you're speaking badly about, even if you're totally making up bullshit about some company or some person, but who knows, right? Maybe there would be some sort of um, some sort of case law that would develop that would look sort of like um, defamation as something that that can't be done, something that does incur damages that must be that must be paid. Maybe I mean you n- you never know. And if there if there seems to be judges that are into that sort of thing and other judges that aren't, then there's going to be competition between them, right? And if everybody if everybody keeps using judges that develop case law in that direction. Because the broader society seems to like the idea that defamation should be "quote unquote" illegal, then that's what's going to happen in that particular society, right? As long as there's competition between, you know, within dispute adjudication and between judges, then I think at the end of the day, you will have better law around this sort of thing than than what we have when we just have you know legislators just writing it. So, you know, in the sense that Section Two Thirty just sort of gives some immunity right off the bat to platforms for things like this. I don't think that's libertarian. I don't think giving immunity like that is a libertarian thing to do. But to the extent that it gives it gives platforms immunity from statist federal prosecution, then I, I would say that is libertarian. But to the extent that it gives them li- uh, immunity from civil tort, that is not libertarian, if that makes sense. So, you know, Joe Biden and the the Democrats on the left, they want to get rid of 230 because they they don't want ne'er-do-wells like people on the right, conservatives, you know, radical or not, to be allowed to to pretty much use the internet and to speak to one another. So they want to repeal Section 230 so that platforms start policing that better, you know, and start going banning ban crazy which is going to be a big expense for these providers. A lot of them won't survive. It'll probably have the effect of consolidating internet speech into fewer and fewer platforms. And then, of course, there'll just be encrypted alternatives that'll spring up. So if that if that's the impetus for creating that, which there already is an impetus for creating that sort of thing, and I know people are working on it, and there's already alternatives to the big the big wigs, then that could be a silver lining. But that's that's what the left wants to do. The right, Trump... I don't know, Ted Cruz and these other guys, they want to get rid of Section 230 because they, they, they seem to totally misunderstand what it is. They think that Section 230 gives these platforms the right to moderate content and to ban users. 
and they think getting rid of Section 230 or, or changing it totally is going to make it so that these platforms have to host language they don't agree with and, and, and keep users they don't want on their private platforms. Okay, in, in both cases, in, in both cases, neither are libertarian, right? You can't, you can't force private businesses and private people to host users and to host speech that they simply don't want on their private platforms. doesn't matter how big they are. doesn't matter how, how often you've threatened them in the past and sort of turned them into a quasi-governmental type institution because of how big they've gotten and how much of the public square market share they, they control, right? The writing has been on the wall for these companies from uh, governments all over the world for a very long time that if you don't do what we want you to do, and it's often you know, what the U.S., you know, people, current people in power anyway, want them to do is very different than what, you know, some other country wants them to do, right? There's countries that, you know, if somebody like take the Arab Spring stuff that happened a while ago, that all happened through Twitter. And I'm sure there's governments in the Middle East that want Twitter to hand over all of their records of who was involved in that, right? And then here in the U.S., they kind of want them to start, you know, they've wanted them to get rid of Donald Trump and now they have and other things. So it's not it's not totally the case that these big providers are just going on their own ideologies and their own agendas. Okay, their agendas are being imposed upon by the threat of federal regulation. And that's true for every company. These are private companies to to some extent, and to the extent they're not, it's usually due to federal or government coercion, right? When these companies started, it was like the old west right? You know, there really wasn't a lot of these federal regulators paying attention to it, mostly because they're a lot older and they just didn't understand what this was. A lot of people didn't understand what this was. And so they grew to the point where they did start start to have some sort of direct or indirect effect on public conversation. And when that public conversation turns to elections, now you have a platform that can be used either by the owners of the platform or by infiltrators, foreign or domestic, to influence that conversation and, and then indirectly influence the outcome of elections. So now all of a sudden, regulators are concerned. And now all of a sudden, they're looking at it like, where did this come from? You know, these platforms have been out 15, 20 years. Now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now, now we should pay attention to this. In my opinion, that's just, that's just scapegoating. This is all government failure. Right, Twitter, and I've talked about this before, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and whatever, it shouldn't be their responsibility to ensure the integrity of some government's elections. That's not their concern, and it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be, uh, government shouldn't impose that responsibility on them. In my opinion, that's not libertarian. That's wrong. But they have, and they will. So these companies are going to, they're going to do what they can to protect, you know, their shareholder interests, and they're going to do what they can to protect themselves and they're going to play ball with the state and they're going to do things that are probably a little bit more on the surface and we're going to see is a reaction to pressures and then there's probably some background pressures as well that we're not going to see and it's going to it's going to look to us like it's just these ideologue owners right leftist progressive owners who just don't want conservatives on their platform so they're going to start getting rid of them and I think there is some of that but I think there's also a lot of defensive actions that can look like that sort of thing too Right, because there's a there's a hammer, there's a there's a hammer being held by the state over their heads. 
And if they do the wrong thing, if they make the wrong policy regarding moderation and, and whatnot, then that hammer is going to come swinging down. This is, this is an artificial imposition on how these things would evolve in a truly free libertarian society, right? And we, and we don't have that to the extent that governments have taken on all this power and all this authority to regulate anything and everything, then there's always going to be that hammer over every business. Not just a social media platform, but every business has that hammer hanging over its head that if they don't, um, if they don't uh, feel the mood in the room accurately and play along, they try to agitate against that, then they're going to be in trouble. So in many ways, they're, they're victims, right? And are there true believers, right, that believe in government and the state and blah, blah, blah? Yeah, sure. But in the, in the early days that they're creating their platform, they're not, you know, they're not thinking about all of that sort of stuff. They're just building their platform, right? And then when they get some breathing room or when some, some threat starts to materialize from outside, from government, then they've got to start thinking about what they want to do. So let's jump over to the parlor case and... I recommend a recent interview on the Megyn Kelly podcast of the CEO of Parler, where he talks about what happened. And I had some concerns because he he talked about um, Amazon continually reassuring them that they're doing everything properly as far as their moderation, and they have nothing to fear. And then totally out of the blue, probably through some sort of pressure, if not public pressure, then you know behind the scenes state actor pressure, Amazon totally cuts off, cuts them off from all of their servers, which were hosted at Amazon. And it was, it was right up to the day before that Amazon was, was trying to, was, was telling them, according to this guy, was telling them that they, they want to do everything they can to help them scale and grow their business, right? Amazon was seemingly very happy with the relationship. And then out of the blue, they get cut off. And from, from the sound of it, contractually, Amazon was supposed to give them 30 days notice, right? They're supposed to say, look, um, previous to that, there were cases where it was like, you know, here's some, here's some concerning content on your platform. Okay. This is how, this is how we took care of it. And Amazon signing off and saying that, you know, good job. Amazon even has their own little moderation bot program and they offered to use it Parler offered to implement that, and Amazon said that's not that's not going to be good enough. What you're doing is already better than that, so don't worry about that, right? And then they and then they cut them off, saying you guys aren't moderating well enough. <laughs> and it's like, well, what about your bot? You told us what we were doing is better than your own moderation service, and now what's not good enough? That doesn't make sense. Anyway, they're supposed to supposedly they're supposed to get 30 day notice. You have 30 days to know that we're going to cut you off. And they didn't give them 30 days. So that, that to me seems like a contract violation. So what, what's the remedy here? I know they've been sued. They're, they're in federal court and they're arguing all sorts of things. But let's just focus on the, 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 what can be done from that libertarian point of view that we've been talking about. Well, if you have a contract with somebody, then the contract's going to lay out what either party can do. Now, I don't think that it would be libertarian to force Amazon to host Parlor. I don't think you can force service like that if Amazon violates the contract. But what I think you can do is that if Amazon violates the contract, then they can be forced to pay damages as specified in the contract to Parlor for the interruption in their business. 
Parler is suffering real financial um, damages right now by having their stuff completely terminated without the 30-day notice. That's costing Parler a lot of money. And I would hope that their contract with Amazon would have something in there about Amazon having to pay Parler in the event that they cut them off before that 30, you know, before the 30-day notice is even issued, which it wasn't, and then before the 30 days, uh, the timer's actually up. So I don't know if that was spelled out in that contract. Maybe not, because that's just not how it was structured, and it was never an issue before for either side. But these things evolve, right? This situation with Parler, the facts of it will be known. And when people want to do business with Amazon in the future, seeing what they did to Parler, really without just cause, any sort of just cause, my hope, right, a, a, an intelligent, responsible business owner, when they look at doing business with Amazon web services, they're going to say, look, this is what kind of business we are. Supposedly, you're willing to host us. We want to grow this business, but we want some guarantees that you're not going to you're not going to do what you did to us. You're not going to do what you did to Parler to us. We need to know that you're not going to cut us off without notice. You're going to violate the the terms of the contract. You're not going to give us 30 days, and then we're going to be SOL and we're going to suffer all this financial all these financial damages that you're not even going to help us with. So my hope and my guess is that these contracts will change. And that's that's what that's all you can really do. Okay, you can you can force Amazon to pay damages and that that will be decided probably. And even and even then it's being decided in a in a monopolistic court system. So that's not going to be a totally a libertarian outcome. But then going forward these contracts are going to be stronger is my hope. Right? I'm not going to I wouldn't do business with Amazon if I knew that they could just do the parlor thing to me. Parler was playing ball and Amazon was playing ball and they were having a nice game of it for a while. And then out of the blue, Amazon, either through internal pressure or external pressure, pulled the plug, seemingly in total violation of the contract they had with Parler. So I think there's some damages out there. Um, And going forward, contracts are going to spell that out a little more clearly. Look, you got to give us 30 days. If you violate that, then you owe us some percentage of our revenue for some period of time, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's all you can do. Okay, we have, you know, every business and every person, unless you're living off-grid in the woods, hunting your own food on your own land, <laughs> everybody has dependencies. Okay, I've got dependencies just here in my house, right? I've got a gas bill, I've got a water bill, I've got a power bill. If I do something so outrageous that these these companies decide to cut me off, that's going to that's going to really put me in a bind. Right? Let let's say Facebook does something so outrageous that the power company um, and, it, and it's probably um, it's probably uh, private. And again, they have a contract with Facebook, but I could imagine them violating that contract like Amazon did and just shutting off the power to Facebook and all of its servers. And then there's nothing they can do, right? They don't have battery backups that long. They probably have some battery backups, give them a day or two. But if they're not totally off grid, if they don't have solar or something that protects them from that, then that one dependency holds their entire business in their in its hands. So my hope that what comes out of this is just stronger contracts, right? You've got to just have stronger contracts. If you cut us off without giving us the, the agreed upon 30-day or 60-day or 90-day notice, whatever it is, then you owe damages. So, you know, outside of that, it's caveat emptor, right? Buyer beware. If you do business with somebody 
and they decide they no longer want to be in business with you, they really do. They really do have every right to just terminate, right? They could terminate early. If Amazon doesn't want to tolerate 30 more days of Parler's business, it has the right to terminate. We can't force Amazon to host Parler. That's not right. That would not be libertarian. But what we can do is force them to pay damages for that decision. That would be libertarian. So, you know, you see all of these um, all of these content creators, all of these different channels on YouTube, right? And they're spending years and years making just, you know, however much money they make, probably a lot for a lot of these people. And then at some point, they step on somebody's toes and they get a copyright strike and they can't get rid of it. And then they get a second and then they get, they get a third and third strike, you're out. Or they're, they're, they're publishing, you know, politically controversial videos, right? And all the, the, you know, the, the users, conservative and liberal who don't like what they're saying, they'll report it and make up bogus reasons. They'll just try to flag it and get, get it, get the video taken down. And if that happens so often, then you get, you, you know, you can lose your, your channel. And there's even people who really, their entire tenure on these platforms, they have not been controversial. But then that Overton window shifts, right? The, the, the window of, um, allowable discussion sort of shifts one way or the other. And then all of a sudden they find themselves getting, um, getting videos taken down, sometimes without explanation. And then, you know, that puts them on notice. My whole channel is in jeopardy. My whole livelihood, which is totally based on this one platform, YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, or OnlyFans or Pornhub, <laughs> is now in jeopardy. So everybody, right, and this is, this is kind of how it always is, right? It's really hard unless you're really careful in how you, you go about your business. And a lot of these, these creators, right, YouTube was just sort of an organic thing. It just sort of came onto the scene and grew, right? It, was, it really was an Old West type of thing. You could put any videos you want on there that weren't obviously criminal. You know, Alex Jones was on there for a really long time, and he was very politically controversial, until he wasn't, you know, and, and it wasn't because his content changed. I think it was always kind of crazy and controversial. It was because that Overton window shifted and, and it, and it no longer included what he was saying and they, they took him off and YouTube has every right to do that or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. They have every right to get rid of their users. But, and if their users have been putting all of their eggs, all of their entrepreneurial eggs in that one basket, then that can, that can be quite the interruption for them. So again, will some of these terms of use, these contracts, when you start to monetize, for example, will will they change? They probably won't change in this desired direction on the existing platforms. We probably need to see the, the creation and growth of alternative platforms, which we're starting to see. But like I talked about in the last podcast, these things take time. It's not instant. Right. It took it took centuries for people to leave Europe and come to the new world and establish alternative forms of, of governance. Right. It was not without struggle and it was not it was certainly not instant. So, you know, you can go to a website like alternative alternatives dot com or whatever it is, and you can find alternatives to all of the current services you use, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or Google, and you can start to diversify Right. If you're, if you're currently a profitable content creator on YouTube, such as, I don't know, Project Veritas, which is obviously controversial, right? They're, they're sort of hidden can, hidden camera journalism. 
you probably should be mirroring or syndicating your new content on as many platforms as you can, right? You're building your YouTube channel, but at the same time, you're also building your Odyssey channel, O-D-Y-S-E-E, and you're also putting it on Vimeo, and you're also putting it on wherever you can. And it's the same with like your, your brand accounts, like on Facebook. If you've got a business or something, You've got your Facebook page, but you should probably also have a Twitter page and you should also have a Minds page and a Gab page and a Parlor page. Well, not anymore because they're down. But you should probably, any new alternative that pops up, you should probably take a moment to set up a page there for yourself and syndicate your content. However, you're syndicating it on your flag, your flagship platform, syndicate it everywhere else too. And I, and I think that when company, when, when other companies see what happens to Parler, what happens to, you know, what, what happened to Alex Jones or what happened. So these guys are, in a sense, they're the canaries in a coal mine, right? You should be aware that you could go just as easily as these players went. So you've got to, you've got to have backups and people are going to learn that. People are going to do that and alternatives will come up. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, There'll be a lot of these little silver linings from this sort of action. I feel bad for Parler, and I feel bad for Alex Jones. I don't think he deserved to get kicked off YouTube. I I would hope that unless they're actually talking about a real crime, they're actually and if you're planning a crime, that's an act of assault, and you know then the platforms should take action on that. They probably shouldn't just make it disappear. It should probably be saved in some way as evidence, right? Right, these these platforms they think that they're getting rid of these ne'er do wells, right? These retro baits, and they're just gonna go back to their jobs and their lives and just oh I guess I'm not on Twitter anymore. I guess I'll just move on with my life. No, they're gonna they're gonna find an alternative. And the more they get the more they get pushed off of like the open platforms where we can, everybody can see what they're doing, they're going to find the closed platforms where we can't. And in my opinion, that that's probably a more dangerous situation. When you put political extremists who are currently in the open, where you can see what they're doing, when you force them underground, I think that will uh, have the effect of making them more radical in a in an unfortunate direction, in a dangerous direction. So now everybody, you know, everybody that was on Parler, they're going to places like Gab and Gab. Gab was deep platform from payment providers and everything a lot, you know, a few years ago, and they're somehow still surviving. All they can do is take cryptocurrency, I guess, which, you know, thank God cryptocurrency is a thing for that reason. It definitely, it's definitely useful and will be more useful as, as the platforms, the type of platforms that are getting rid of people move from, you know, at first it was just, uh, it was just social media companies and YouTube. And now to see Amazon Web Services, right, which is a which is a cloud hosting platform, which is like a it's a it's a it's on that infrastructure level, it's on that level of like the power company. Now you see them doing this sort of thing, this sort of cancel culture type thing, which again I don't you know I don't you know cancel culture and this sort of thing. It's a tool. It could be very useful. It's not good or bad, but I understand that most of the planning for the the cap, the U.S. Capitol stuff on January sixth, most of that happened on Facebook. And I think they've got a nice, fat, beefy contract with Amazon because Amazon didn't shut them out immediately, right? <laughs> but Parler, they did. Parler was seemingly the scapegoat here. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't crazy things found on Parler. Um, 
and this is one of the points that Megan Kelly brought up when she was talking to him. It's like, yeah, there was stuff found and you can find screenshots of some crazy stuff that was captured from parlor. But all of that stuff was usually removed within 24 hours. We're a small platform. We've got a moderation team that's only so big. And if as you're growing, as everybody's flocking to your platform and starting to use all this controversial language, you can only moderate so much so fast. And they were going through these growing pains when Amazon decided to cut them off. And it wasn't just Amazon that cut them off. It was every every dependency they had. Okay, even the platform they used to communicate internally with their moderation team and for the moderation team to commu- communicate with each other. Things like Slack and Twilio, which was the chat, the chat messaging for the second factor authentication for users. All of these services started cutting them off. They can't even communicate with their own company other than by landline telephone, maybe cell phone. But these moderators were spread out all over the country, maybe the world. And the way they communicated with them was through these online chat messaging platforms like Slack. And now all of a sudden they're cut off. So, you know, you've got a 650 person moderation team that you can't communicate with all at once anymore. Even if they get their servers back up, how do they? So they might be forever gone. We'll see. They're fighting. And every, meanwhile, everybody's flocking to services like Gab and Mines, and that's great. But also, and this is interesting, they're also going to services like Signal and Telegram. Now, why would they use these, these messaging services? It's because on these messaging services, you can open a secure encrypted chat with a person or a group at the push of a button. And now the only way, now everything you say is encrypted. Signal can't see it. Any, anybody listening in can't see it. The only way to see it is to be part of it. Okay. And if you're taking photos of everything being said, then, you know, that's one way to copy it. You can't screenshot it on your phone. You know, you'd have to be using some other device to, to capture what's being said. Um, but you can also set timers, like you can set a destruction timer. You can say, don't keep this conversation longer than 10 minutes. So any, any, any message that's 10 minutes old is immediately deleted totally irrecoverable, unrecoverable. So these are these are really cool technologies that are now themselves under attack by governments who don't like that people have this ability to encrypt their communications with one another. So what the world needs is a totally distributed, totally decentralized uh, platform for videos, for chats, for websites, for blogs, for everything, for governance. <laughs> And that and that and those tools are being created. Um, there is this website I haven't really poked around on it. I think it's called zeronet.io, where it's like a, a totally distributed um, internet where you can create a website, and it's pretty much you know where that website is stored is kind of everywhere. It's kind of an interesting thing. Okay, so I'll I'll link to that Megan Kelly interview with the parlor guy. Um, it's kind of outrageous what happened there. It was, a, it was a good conversation. She talks to a couple other people. I think she talks to Gren Greenwald and she also talks to, I forget, somebody else. And I'll link to this section 230 bit on Wikipedia. Um, but, you know, I think, I think contracts will be strengthened after this. I think alternatives will continue to be built and targeted as they will be. But ultimately, I think that innovation and creative and smart people I think that will prevail. I think we'll prevail in building things that are more resilient to these kind of attacks. I really think that will happen. 
All right, that's going to do it. Please remember, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, and don't ask permission. Just build it. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.